Take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis. A number of weeks ago, we started a series entitled R12, True Spirituality. Based off of a book and curriculum by Chip Ingram, he gives us the idea that what we find in Romans chapter 12 is a picture of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. What it means to have true spirituality, but not just limited to one chapter of the Bible. We can find examples all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, of men and women who had a heart for God, who had this Romans 12 type of faith. A couple weeks ago, just by way of review, we saw that, that this R12, Romans chapter 12, spirituality, begins with a right picture of God. If we don't have the right picture of God, all of our other aspects of following Him is skewed and it, is, it leads us astray. It's built on this principle of relationship. We talked a little about that this morning and we've talked at great length over the last number of months, almost the last year, about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. And we saw a couple weeks ago, that there was a pathway to experience true spirituality that Romans chapter 12 outlines. Tonight, as we look at Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brother, in view, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I want to key in on that word, that phrase, living sacrifice. We're going to look at Abraham's story and his account tonight, and we're going to begin to see what it means for Abraham to be a true follower of God, to be a living sacrifice. How do we give God what he wants most? In Abraham's journey, we begin to see that it reveals what God wants most from each of us, not just from Abraham. It's this faith that he's calling out for us. Abraham, a father of faith for us, one that we look to and that for uh, century upon century, the Christians have looked to the example of Abraham. We're going to walk through, oh, I don't know, six, seven chapters tonight. Now, we're not going to read every word of those. We definitely will not have an exhaustive or a complete study of each of those chapters. But we're going to look in a way that may make you yawn. That's good. I'm just so tickled. I tell you what, I just got to pause. It was so fun singing hymns. You're not supposed to laugh when you sing hymns. You're supposed to be serious. But I was laughing when I was singing the hymns because I was standing next to a God-created tigger. If you have never sung a hymn next to a God-created tigger, you have not had fun in church. Sorry. Thank you. That blessed my heart. It made me laugh. Where am I? Oh, okay. Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here we go. <laughs> We're looking at Abraham's journey, and it reveals to us what God wants most. As we look at these uh, six, seven chapters of Scripture, we're going to begin to see that it gives us these tests that God is giving to Abraham, and it's tests that he also gives to us from time to time. The first one is this. It's in in Genesis chapter 12, you may want to turn there and just kind of look at this passage of Scripture while I paraphrase and highlight some thoughts there. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the call to follow God for Abraham. It's this question that God is asking to Abraham, will you trust me with your future? 
He didn't just ask it to Abraham, he asked it to us as well. If we are going to be true true scriptural Christians, Romans 12 Christians, he will call us to live a life as a living sacrifice, a life that is trusting him, having faith in him. And he'll ask us, will you trust me with your future? In essence, God is saying to Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to make you great. I don't want you to surrender so I can get something from you. I want you to surrender to me so I can give something to you. Now for somebody here tonight, that is an aha moment when you think about surrendering to God. You see God in this skewed idea. He is the one who wants to just take all your stuff from you. God is not broke. God is not down on his luck. God is not just searching for a compliment. And when you surrender to him, when you give to him, when you give him your praise, when you give him your resources, when you give him your obedience, it's not that he wants to take something from you. It's that he wants to bless you and give something to you. He wants to give you something bigger than what you could ever imagine, what you or I could ever achieve on our own. This first test in Romans, excuse me, in Genesis 12, we see a famine that is taking place. And it's this question, will you trust me to protect you? Looking at your future, will you trust me to protect you? Usually when we take a step of faith, it's not uncommon for things to get a little bit worse before it gets better. You know, I've heard the phrase all my life growing up, don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience. If you pray for patience, you get what? Tribulation, trials, you get problems. You know what I found out? Whether you pray for patience or not, you get problems. You might as well pray for patience. When, when we have a spiritual advance for Christ, when we have a significant spiritual moment, when there is a victory, the enemy fights, but guess what? Even if you don't have an experience with Christ, the enemy is still fighting. That used to baffle my mind. As we heard the the real-life account that Pastor Edgar was talking to us about, well, if, if bad things are happening, then maybe we should just stop having good things in here. Hey, bad things are going to happen. Distractions are going to happen all the time. But we want to press into the things of God. And, and so we shouldn't be surprised that when we take a sleep of faith or a step of faith that it will appear at times and maybe even reality, things may get a little bit worse before they get better. A famine comes and, and so we see Abraham going down to Egypt. And as he's going down to Egypt, this question has been posed to him, will you trust me? Will you follow me? And We begin to see what happens. So he says to his wife, Sarah, Sarah, you are a good-looking woman. You are a hot babe. Now, if your Bible doesn't say that, bring it to me. I'll correct it, and I'll put it right in there. But he recognizes that his wife is an attractive woman. And he says, you know what? They're going to see you. They're going to say, whoo, what a hottie. And so if, if they think that I am married to you, then they are going to want to kill me so they can have you. So why don't we just call you my sister? It'll keep me safe. That way, if they see your beauty and if they lust after you, they won't see me as a threat and they won't try to get me out of the way. What? That's in the Bible? Read it right there. Genesis 12. So they go down and Pharaoh sees her and takes her into his harem. And before he sleeps with her, God steps in with some real judgment. And Pharaoh says, why didn't you tell me about this? This isn't your sister. This is your wife. Test number one, Abraham fails. He is not trusting God fully with his future. He's not trusting God to protect him when the famine comes, when the challenge comes. He's not trusting God to protect him when 
harm may come to him. Let's move on to Genesis 13. The second test we see. It's about greed. If the first one was tied in famine, the next we see in greed. The question is, will you trust me to provide for you? There's this discussion between Abraham and Lot. A family squabble. It's almost like a western scene where they both take paces away from each other and they turn back to each other and say there's not enough room for the both of us in this town. Abraham is the older one and has the authority, but he gives Lot the choice. And Lot, with his greed, chose what looked to be better. He chose what he thought was the better land. And Abraham says, okay, I will take the land that does not look so good. But what Lot didn't realize was that Sodom and Gomorrah was down in the place that he thought looked so good. And life didn't end up so well for Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham didn't say, you know what? I, I have control. I'm going to take what is rightfully mine. He says, I'll tell you what. You make the first choice. And then I'm going to allow God to choose for me. As we begin to see here in Genesis chapter 13, something happens when Abraham trusts in God. Genesis 13, verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted as well. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Here, when Abraham trusts God, here, when Abraham says, you know what, I'm not going to be a part of this squabble. I'm going to trust God to provide for me. I'm not going to act in greed. The Lord blesses him. We're going to begin to see every time that Abraham responds in surrendering to, to, in faith to God, God shows up and he increases and lifts the ante By blessing him more and more. Abraham passes test number two. We look at Genesis 14, test number three. We see prosperity. Will you trust me with your possessions? It's one thing to trust him when we are in lack, when we are in need. It's another thing to trust him when we have the blessings. It's one thing not to learn to be greedy. It's another thing to learn to be generous. You see, it's different when you have gathered a bunch of stuff once you get a lot. This is a statistical thing, not a personal thing. Most people, not all, most people who get a lot of stuff, they begin to think they need God less and less. Jesus said it's very hard for a rich man to trust him, not because riches are evil, not because it's wrong to own things, but it is so obvious that many, many, many men and women, when they acquire so many things, they perceive they don't have very many needs. They perceive that there's not much that they can't get done on their own. And by their own heart, they begin to push God out. That's the third test. Will you trust me with your stuff? Chapter 14, five kings get together and decide to attack these other kings down at Sodom and Gomorrah. They come and they wipe them out. Lot and his family and all of his resources are gone. And Abraham hears about it and like an action hero, he comes in and takes them out and rescues everyone. So he's defeated them. 
He now has this bounty of the five kings, also the wealth of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he comes back to this meeting, and he offers the king a tenth of all that he had. The king says, just give me the people and keep the goods. But he wouldn't accept it. He didn't want his wealth to come from the evils of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to trust God. God, I'm going to make sure you are the king of all the things that's come to me. I'm not going to call them my own. They are yours. I'm only going to take what is holy. I'm not going to allow my possessions to own me. I want you to own me. He passed this third test. Genesis chapter 15, we see a fourth test one tied to courage it's the question will you trust me to fulfill my promise as we look at genesis chapter 15 verse 1 we see after this the word of the lord came to abraham in a vision do not be afraid abraham i am your shield your very great reward Imagine Almighty God speaking this to you, you hearing this, and the great comfort that that must bring. But I love the reality of the relationship that Abraham has with God. Abraham has a moment of courage. And he talks to God in a little bit different way. He steps up, and with boldness, he says, what will the result be of this blessing? Who will, who will it go to? I don't, I don't have a son. I don't have an heir. I need a sign from you, God. He says, God, I believe it, I'm trusting it, but I'm, I'm also asking for it. And God makes a covenant with him. He says, look to all the stars. All these stars will be the number of your offspring. He's saying, I will bless you. Lord, there's no evidence. I'm glad you're telling me that my family's going to be like the, the dust and, and who can count all the grains of sand or the dust and who can count all the stars, but we've got to start somewhere. Abraham believed God. And it calls him righteous. He is righteous. Not in his own volition, but by his faith he is made righteous. Begin to see the agenda that God has for Abraham. One, to increase his faith, to increase his dependence on him, to call him to surrender to the Lord. He passes this test as well. Genesis 16. We see a fifth test. It's on timing. We saw this courage to trust him to fulfill his promise. We also now look to this test on timing. Will you trust me by patiently enduring? See, the, the people are speaking to Abraham and they say, well, we, we want to we help. God is good and all, but there's very little to show what he's doing, so let me step in and help. His wife says, you know what, Abraham, my biological clock is ticking. Time is too far gone. Abraham, if we're going to have this family heritage, this family tree that God has, has given to us, we're going to have to step in and help him out. We're going to have to have kids at some point, and it's beyond what I can do. So what we need to do is take this into our own hands now. So Sarah says, I, I have a plan in mind. I have this maid servant. She's a young woman. She works for us. So why don't you lay with her? Why don't you have sex with her? And, and she will have your child. And we will bring this child in as our own. And this will be our son. We've got to help it out, but it will be our son. And we'll get this ball rolling because you know we've been waiting on God for a long time. 
Abraham ultimately doesn't pass this test. Ever found out that you were trying to trust God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you felt like you just needed to help His timing out? Are you willing to be patient and endure the same way that God is calling Abraham to? It's during this, it's not happening, Lord. That's when God is building something in you, and that's when God was trying to build something in Abraham. This is when we are to lean into Him, and we cry out to God. We are desperate for God, and when we see the situation out of our control, that's when He can do some of His best work, and it's short-circuited when we try to step in and help God. He fails this test. So he lays with the servant, and he has a son, Ishmael. Ishmael is born, and they've had problems ever since. We could talk a whole night about the problems that have come from that. This is a journey. Abraham did not get it right every time. Abraham was not bad in a thousand, but he was a man who wanted to follow God. And in the times that he listened to God, he was blessed. And the times that he did not obey God, there was a consequence. But check it out. God does not say, let's throw Abe out and let's just start all over. No. There's a price to be paid when there's sin. There's always a consequence. There's always a scar. But God keeps running after Abraham. God still works with him. Genesis 17, we see a sixth test, the test on obedience. Will you trust me when what I ask you to do doesn't appear to make any sense? Surrendering to God, submitting to God, when it makes sense to you is not really submission. It's not really surrendering. It's you just doing what you think is right. But when God asks you to do something that, that it doesn't make sense to you, it seems out there, it seems crazy, it seems not maybe the, the, the most prudent thing for you to do, but when you know it's God, when you obey, that's an act of faith. God asks Abraham, he says, let's make a covenant together. Let's seal this covenant in a special way. Now, if you look at Genesis 17, there's some very graphic stuff going on there. Imagine being Abraham for the first time, and God says to you, Abraham, I want you to circumcise yourself, all the men, and your son. What? Could, could you give a little bit of instructions on this, Lord? Could, could you give me a little bit of why? I could just hear Abraham, God, this sounds like it's going to hurt. God says, yep. Couldn't have made sense to Abraham. It couldn't have been, you know what, God, I was just thinking about that. That was on my iPhone. I was planning on doing that tomorrow. But God called him to a covenant that didn't seem to make sense to him. Now, I'm not trying to be too graphic, but think how weird that had to have been for Abraham. God, what does this have to do with my worship? I'm telling you. That God, on your journey of faith, will ask you to do some things from time to time that don't seem to make sense to you. Now, we run it through the filter. We want to make sure that we're hearing pure Jesus. We're hearing pure God speaking to us. It's not us trying to do some weird thing. He speaks to us, remember, through His Word. He speaks to us through a still, small voice. He speaks to us through other brothers and sisters. As John Wesley has been credited for showing to us, when we put the lenses together in his quadrilateral, we begin to see that he speaks through, through his word. That's the trump card. But, but you don't have to be a genius to understand. You could take a piece of scripture out of context and make it say what you want to. 
But he hasn't just given us his word. He's also given us reason, our mind, our ability to think. But, but as good as that is, we need to recognize you can reason your way to hell. So we have scripture, reason. Then we have the body of believers, other Christians. It's this tradition of the church who pour into us. But all you've got to do is look at Job's life or look at what Sarah is just saying to, to Abraham. Sometimes well-meaning people give horrible advice. So, so what do we do there? We've got to listen and, and say, Lord, is this you speaking through this person? And then we also have our experience. John Wesley talked about our experience, or I call them our, our God moments. It's the aha things that God does. But sometimes if we're really honest, God, is this you speaking to me, or is this bad pizza from yesterday? Are you churning something up in my heart, or is it indigestion? But when we begin to see all these lenses come together through Scripture and reason and the blessing of other brothers and sisters and then our own experience, we begin to see God speak through His Word, see God speak through other Christians, see God speak through a still small voice, we can begin to see that He is speaking. And friend, mark it down. There'll come a time in your life when you're confident it's the Lord speaking, but what He's asking you to do doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But being a living sacrifice is... Paul calls us to in Romans. It's not about what makes sense to you or me. It's about our obedience to him. Abraham passes the test. And our final one in Genesis 22. This final exam. Will you trust me with everything and everyone in your life? You don't get to this final exam until you realize that your whole life has been leading up to this. God didn't just come out of the chute with this often. He could, but he, he, he is building up often. God makes this outrageous request to Abraham. And while it seems so outrageous to us, the culture of the day, in the, in, in the pattern of the day, people were sacrificing humans to their deities. And so it wasn't as strange as maybe it is for us today. But what was bizarre was not the sacrifice call of sacrificing your son, but what was so bizarre was you just told me I would have a whole nation of descendants. This is my son, kind of necessary for your plan to come about. That's what was so bizarre. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him on a mountain that I will point out to you. Then we see Abraham's growth. He believed that if God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac, then God would also come through, had to have gone through his mind, and he must raise Isaac from the dead. Because God has told me that he will bring descendants through this child. Then he goes on a three-day walk. Can you imagine the things that would have gone through his mind? The boy that he had hoped for, that he'd cried out to God for, has been given to him. I would imagine that little by little, this love of his son would almost usurp the role of God in his life. And the Lord is saying, listen, as much as you love your son, as much as I have blessed you with him, I am more important to you than him. Your confidence cannot be in Isaac. Abraham finally finds the right spot and he builds an altar and he prepares it and he puts his son on the altar. You know the story. You've read it before. And then he begins to bring the knife up to sacrifice and right when he's ready to plunge the knife down, then God comes through and he provides another offering. See, when we surrender everything, that's when God comes through. 
Then the Lord said, because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your beloved son, I swear by my own self that I will bless you richly. I will multiply your descendants into countless millions. And your descendants and their descendants and their descendants. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through your obedience today. All because you have obeyed me. See, when God calls us to surrender to him, to have faith in him, he's calling us to risk. And he means risk. In a world of political correctness in our culture today, it nauseates many that we say things that we don't really mean to just try to take the rough edges off of everything. And I'm not making a case for us to be rude or obnoxious to one another. But one of the challenges with just trying to sugarcoat everything is we never really get down to the truth. And the things of the Lord are never meant to be politically correct. They're just correct. The things of the Lord are never meant to be sugarcoated so we can swallow them better. They're just meant to be taken from the Lord. And one of the things I'm afraid of is sometimes in following God in this Romans 12 type of spirituality that Chivik Ingram talks about in his book, that, that Paul is speaking to us about a living sacrifice. It is costly. Faith is a risk. I'm stepping out. Well, my faith is so calculated there's really no risk. Well, that's good, but that's not faith. Now, I'm not trying to say that you can't have confidence and and you can't have an, an intellectual faith. That's not what I'm saying. But faith calls us to be certain of what we hope for and what we cannot see. It's, it's to, to place my trust in one whom I cannot control and I don't fully understand. See, faith costs us all that we have. But when we take a risk for God, one that He has called us to, we Don't lose all that we have. We gain all that He has. We can never know His power and His love without taking the risk, the leap of faith for Him. Risk demands trust. Trust demands that we depend on His security, not on our security. And it would not be trust if we knew all the ramifications of the risk. That's the key to knowing God the way Abraham knew God. We have to trust Him before we even know the full implications of the trust. And that's when I often say, Jesus, we say yes to you before we even know what it is you're asking because we're choosing to trust you, not what makes sense to us. The story of Abraham is one of many that we'll look at that scream out to us. He was not perfect. He didn't pass every test every time. But he set an example of what God can do when we live a life surrendered, when we become a living sacrifice to him. See, Abraham's confidence in God's promises and God's character was the secret to his surrender and to his reward. It wasn't that Abraham was bigger, he was higher, he was stronger. No, he was surrendered. Abraham had a great God. It's not that Abraham was so great. 
I'm so sick and tired in our consumer Christianity culture that we lift up one man or one woman and we go, oh, aren't they mighty? Why don't we look at who is mighty in their life and say, that's my Jesus. He is mighty. It's the same Jesus in me. In fact, those who are closest to the Lord are quick to say, whoa, it's not me. It's him. And Abraham, if he was standing here with us, he'd say, before you get too excited about me, you need to get excited about the God who is so great that has called me to this radical faith. He learned God's promises are always true. His character is always true. No matter what he asks, we can trust him. Romans 4, 20-21. He, Abraham, staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that he had promised he was able also to perform those things. When it gets scary in your finances, when it gets scary with your kids, when it gets scary with your health, when it gets scary at what God is calling you to do, listen to Him. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He exists and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We have develop this phony idea that being a Christian is just being a little bit nicer than before. Just being a little bit better of a boy, a little bit better of a girl, just being a good citizen. Friends, God wants to transform your life, not just help you be a little bit better. And it starts in surrender and trust. Being a follower of God is believing in His promises, His character, to the point of risk. This final thought will be through. Abraham's life reveals that surrender is the channel through which God's biggest and best blessings flow. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Could it be like Abraham when God called him to circumcision? God, what does this have to do with my worship? This is my job. What does this have to do with my worship, God? This is my family. What does this have to do with my worship, God? These are my kids. He says, surrender to me. It has everything to do. What does God want most from you? What does God want most from me? He wants all that I am, all that I have. He wants me by faith to say, Lord, I am all in. He wants me to sign the blank check. He wants me to say, all I am I give to you, all I have I give to you. He wants me by faith to say to the Lord, I am all in. And he wants me to say, Lord, I'll sign the blank check. In our 201 class, one of my favorite things to teach, we get this idea of a contract for our life. And so what we do is we often fill out this contract and we say, God, I'm going to surrender to you my wife. I'm going to surrender to you my kids. I'm going to surrender to you uh, my bank account. We feel pretty excited about this surrender list that we've got to God. And we say, God, here you go. Signed it, it's ready. 
I believe the Lord looks at that and smiles and says, Oh, Brady, that's nice. I'm so glad that you want to give me your wife. I'm so glad that you want to give me your kids. I'm so glad that you want to give me your bank account, but, but I've got a better idea. In fact, I've prepared a contract for you. Top it says, contract of my life. I thumb through it and look at it. It's blank. Page after page after page after page. And the bottom, it just has a place to sign. He says, hey, why don't you just sign this? Well, Lord, I'll be happy to. Just fill in the details and we'll make a deal. And he says, no, 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 no. I want you to surrender to me and trust me even when you don't know all the things. This is what God is calling us to when we offer our very bodies is a living, breathing, blank check signed sacrifice to Him. The power is not in my discipline of sacrifice, in the piety of what I have let go of. The power is in the one to whom we surrender it to. Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who paid attention to your words so well. This morning, tonight, saturating themselves with your word. Lord, I thank you that whenever your word is delivered in any form, at any time, by any person, your word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It divides joint and marrow. It cuts right to the source. And so, Lord, I thank you right now. For my brother and sister in this room who know exactly what it is that you are speaking to them about. Lord, I pray tonight that while they have probably heard these truths before, may they have a new covenant with you. God, I surrender again. I want to be the Romans 12 Christian. I want to pass that on. I want it to flow out of my life. Lord, would you begin to fill them, the God of hope, would you fill them with your joy as they begin to trust you right now. And may they overflow by the power of your spirit lord i pray for my brother or sister here tonight that i mean they're they're fine with it they're this is that's good thank you pastor brady i like the scripture but i'm not quite sure what jesus is saying to me yet lord i thank you that for some here tonight you are planting a seed your word is not coming back void you're planting a seed that we are going to harvest this week Lord, I ask right now that you would give us eyes to see the divine appointment that's going to come up, that you're going to draw us back, not to Brady's teaching, not to to Chick Chick Ingram's uh, curriculum. You're going to take us back to your word, to your promise, your covenant with Abraham, and to the fact that you don't just do it once, you want to do it over and over again. So, Lord, I thank you in advance for the aha moment that is not yet here, but it is on its way. It may be for a friend, for a family member. It may be for us later this week. So, Lord, we thank you. I ask that you will seal this in our heart in a way that we can receive the victory before it's even here. Thank you, Father, that you are always working below the surface when we cannot see what it is you're doing. You are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of our sacrifice. You are worthy of our surrender and our faith in you.
in your name, Jesus, we pray. Let it be so. Amen and amen.